Hey there, it's Charlie here from Asset Blocks. Oh, wait a second. Actually, it's Full Stack Business Owner. Yes, we've recently gone through a massive rebrand and pivoted our name to Full Stack Business Owner. However, we actually made some episodes of the podcast before the rebrand that we just felt were too good not to release. There was some really helpful and useful content that we think is going to help you win and become a full stack business owner. So we're still going to release this podcast. However, you will probably, actually, I know you will hear us reference asset blocks throughout it. So please note, you will hear us say asset blocks, but the show is full stack business owner, and that is what it will be called from now on. Anyway, I hope you enjoy these episodes and I'll see you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner. Welcome to Asset Blocks, a business owner edition because wealth creation is different for Australian business owners. Today, we are here with Aaron Wybrow talking about five practical ways to increase your borrowing power. But before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. This episode is important because just like in business, our success is completely defined by our ability to access better leverage. No matter the type of leverage, whether it's team, partners, debt, etc., if we are limited by our leverage, we are limited in our results. And it's the exact same for wealth creation. Our success is defined by accessing the best leverage. So if you're an Australian business owner who is feeling like you're limited by the access that you have to good leverage or debt, or you're just getting started and you just want to see what you can do to set yourself up for success, then this episode is for you. Now, if you do want to get access to Aaron or access to any of our other partners, head over to assetblocks.com.au, click on the resources and go to the partners section, and you'll be able to contact all of the people that we work with, as well as Aaron Wybrow. And if you do enjoy this episode, be sure to hit subscribe and share it with someone else who might be going through the same wealth creation journey that you are. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Aaron is our funding specialist, has done most of my mortgages and I think most of yours as well, Charlie. So Aaron, in 30 seconds, for people who don't know or have never heard about you, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yes, so I'm Aaron Wybrow. I'm a business owner, not unlike the listeners of the podcast. And the topic that we're talking about today, I've personally had to go through that journey myself to be able to get the right borrowing power for me and my clients. And it reminds me of a, a hobby that I have and I play the bagpipes and I'm called the bagpiping mortgage broker. And if you've ever seen the instrument played, it's quite complex. Uh, it looks, it could look simple at the beginning, but when you look at the instrument up close, it looks complex. And how you get to play them is that you've got to break it down into bite-sized chunks. And those bite-sized chunks get put together and you hear the big booming sound that comes up. And it's the same with looking at how we increase borrowing power, how we look at that, where the borrowing power of the business owner looks simple from the distance. I'm making lots of money, mate. It's all good to go. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, it gets a bit complex and you've got to have those simple aspects. So what my job is, is to get that complex aspect, put all the simple bite chunks chunks together and get great outcomes for my clients. I always love that us business owners just sit there and go, yeah, it's fine, mate. I'll just make more. Don't worry about it. (laughs) We just never worry about the stuff on the other side. I, I am curious. Like, obviously, we're targeted towards business owners. Uh, what percent of the people that you work with are business owners first? Call them PAYG or employees, if you will. Yeah. Um, the majority of my clients are self-employed or business owners. Um, they may have one entity or multiple. Um, so around 80% of the business that comes to me for me to write loans on is business owners. And then the, the balance is... Um, helping our colleagues in PAYG land. <sighs> I'm going to dive straight into this one. So we're I'm going to about- cut you off and just go, I'm excited for this one. Oh, I'm yeah. excited. I'll tell you why. This because, one. Yeah, well, I wanted to get in early and uh, extend some exaggeration of why this is so important. It was so fascinating to me when I got into this world. Just like I had this view that it's like, cool, just make more money and you, it all works out. To Aaron's point, exactly what he said there. But as you go into this journey, there's been so many moments where I'm like, I didn't think this would matter. 
and it matters so much when it comes to accessing lending. And I think particularly in lending, which in our other episode, Aaron, we covered quite in depth, like if you need your financials to look a certain way, that's not something you can change overnight. Yep. That might be something you need to put like a year of work into or change things over a duration of time when it becomes way more relevant. And I'm hopeful that people will listen to this and just really understand, well, okay, these are the things I need to be thinking about if borrowing is going to be a part of my future, if this is something I'm going to want to be able to do more of in the future. So I'll get off my soapbox now and we can actually get into <laughs> some practical ones. I just wanted to extend that how important this episode is really. Absolutely. Um, I'm definitely going to be diving into like if you had time again <laughs> at the end of the episode. Like, well, what would you what would you do different? Because hindsight's always one of those killers, right? Like, it's like, oh, if only I could go back ten years and know exactly what I knew now, it'd be so different. But get, getting into this, like talking about the leverage that we sit and have within debt, right? Like, it, there is some serious power that we get from it. So, how can somebody increase their borrowing capacity? Like, I'm just going to open this question up and. Aaron, take us on a bit of a journey. Let, let's take that. We, we, we are looking at things from afar as business owners. We go, yeah, mate, we're, we're making the money. We're, we, can, we can do this. I reckon we can get to the bank and we've got lots of deposits sitting in our business. We've got lots of things going on. Um, but then when we open the door to that can of worms, you could see, um, it, it does seem to get a little bit more complex than, than most. So I, I like to break this down into to five chunks, which is where we're going to go uh, on the journey today. And if we can break it down into some five practical ways that we can look at our borrowing um, in addition to the year made, I'm making lots of money um, aspect there as well. I love the yeah, mate. I'm making lots of money. <laughs> this is like the greatest summary of. You definitely have some tradies who are clients, don't you? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I'm like sitting there. I can't remember the last time I called you up, Aaron. Said yeah, mate. Like, <laughs> she, she'll be right. I can't worry about it. Buddy. it was, ah, we we are talking. Fine. We're, we're Australian business owners here, aren't we? She'll be right. I, I was, she'll be I was a tradie. I, I know yeah. the lingo, right? I was. This yeah. is exactly how they all spoke, and myself included at a point in time. But bringing this one back, we're going to cover five areas today to uh, increase borrowing capacity. Practical ones at that. Yeah. Let's dig into number one. Cool. Let's earn more money. Done. All right, number two. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. All right, let's pull this one apart. Okay. Uh, so, what do you mean by like uh, earn more money? Well, it's not necessarily earn more money because. That we're not bringing, always bringing back the year made in here, but earning more money and in business is slightly different to just earning more money um, as an employee. Because in business, as we earn more money, we may have expenses to get that money. So, as a, a business owner trying to earn more money, we have to look at what the bottom line is. So, the banks will always look at what's called the net profit. So, if we go out and earn 10 grand more and it costs us five grand to do that, we only adding five grand. So knowing how to increase the in, increase income and you have to look at the expense line of it as well. So for example, a business owner that is turning over a $500,000 business with a $200,000 net profit, or is it a business turning over a million dollars? and only having $50,000 profit. And that's a big difference when we're looking at earning more money as a business owner because are we in an industry that is high expense? Are we in an industry that's low expense? Is an example of this as well, to look a bit deeper, in, in what we do, we work in media, Grant and I, a lot, um, or virtual businesses, where we don't really have a cost of goods in the same way mm. that if you had a factory and you're building bikes, as the uh, example we'll use here, if you wanted to create more income, you would have to like order more stock or raw materials to be able to put together that. So to grow, you might actually find in the business you're in that there's a, an investment to make first. You might actually make less income before you make more income. So to be strategic with that, or it might be more advantageous to look for wins where it just contributes to net profit rather than setting up a whole new, new location or a heavy investment if you want to get more access to borrowing. That's exactly right, and and that needs to be known as a as a business owner myself. I'm in a I'm in an industry that doesn't have the same um, aspect like you talked about with bikes and the um, equipment materials that is needed. There there is some, but in the main, 
it's it's lending that I'm selling and um, getting remunerated for that. So expenses are slightly different. Um, and the other one is if you know exactly what how to change your net profit for your particular business, then we can look to what we can get the get that ticket to play at a higher level for um, any bank. Um, we can open up the door to a whole range of options that uh, anywhere from low cost to high cost um, and anywhere in between, depending on what your goal is to increase the access to lending and borrowing capacity. So I've even got an example here. Uh, one of the ones that I'll let you jump in after, Grant, but it's like for, for myself, I actually, uh, in one of the years, I can't remember if it was last financial year or the one before, we actually held off um, buying, like we wanted a new car. We also wanted to expand the business and hire a whole bunch of people. And we held back on that because it was going to have a huge negative on the uh, financials for that year, mm. where if we kind of were like spacing out the hiring, it actually looked much cleaner because we were able to bring up the profits with that rather than taking a deep hit. Again, I think this is a topic not much discussed, but I just even as you've said it, it's brought back the memories of when I've had to be a bit selective on how fast to grow because it can have impacts in the way Aaron's talking about here. Yeah, and what financial years as well does it land in? And the interesting thing, just for people listening, because I remember when I started this out and if you just said to me, cool, earn more money and think about net profit, right? Now, there is this layer between a business's net profit and how they're structured compared to my income, right? So my business could be doing a net profit of a quarter of a million dollars. Do I have to pay myself that quarter of a million dollars for the bank to understand that? Or is it just net profit in the business and happy days. It's, uh, is there, does it have to land in me personally is probably my question in order to validate this more income kind of point. Yeah, you, 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 hit, the, you hit the nail on the head. This is where as we go down extra, um, extra option uh, categories here of how we can increase our borrowing is that we have a slight unfair advantage as a business owner when we go to the bank. We can pay ourselves money and we can have net profit in the business. And to, to that point, when we're talking about in, in increasing our income, it could be two-factor. We could increase our net profit or we could increase our personal income. And, and obviously, getting the right advice around taxation there. <clears throat> and in previous episodes, you talked about taxation as a, a great business partner or a poor business partner. Um, and you can leave the profit in the company, in the so, financials. So, so they both count. They yeah. both can count. I actually didn't know that because yeah. I was like, do you have to hold up retained earnings and like just distribute no. hard one year? <laughs> <laughs> and, you and you're right. Ab- absolutely. As business owners, if we have that quarter of a million dollars that you mentioned as profit in our business and let's say we've paid ourselves $100,000, it's like we've got two people walking into the bank. We've got our company on in, in one hand and, and us in the other going, cool, we can go in and throw $350,000 down as income to access some money. Can I ask a probably very controversial question on top of this that you may have to defer and is if someone was to potentially juice up their wife's income or partner's income as well from their business, is there any advantage towards that and earning more in how it looks to the banks? It's a that's always there's always many 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 questions when we delve into how can we increase our incomes and utilizing um, family and spouse and and that can have mechanisms of using family trusts or just using wages um, and can we juice up our wife's income well we have to meet the criteria of the the lender that we're going to and that could mean that we have to show their individual tax return as well as a, a higher level um, verification of that income. Uh, and can we juice up the the wife's, um, in this case's income to a point where it helps our borrowing? Well, that's probably going to have more of an ethical moral standpoint related to um, what what is the outcome of that income that you are paying in your business to increase that profitability. So, uh, I, I might you if you are audited, for example, um, and your wife couldn't answer those questions. That could be another aspect that you have to a challenge outside the borrowing capacity uh, question that you might have to attain. But usually, when when you're thinking about juicing up people's incomes, um, the banks will have a higher level of verification that they will want to put over you. 
Of course, I'm not suggesting anyone yeah. breaking any laws or being unethical. No. I'm just very curious there. And of course, you've seen my two-year-old son does Jack does security right. Like he's an integral <laughs> part of this business. Yeah, um, no, don't don't ever go to your office. He's, he's standing at the gate being guard dog right now. Like, Absolutely, <laughs> I gotta earn it. <laughs> All right, so that's that's point one covered here. We've covered point one. Let's uh, lead away here. What what's point number two? Point number two is to. Um, you could say double down on the debt, pay down that debt you don't need or is sitting there in the drawer beside your bed. Um, I've come across many different clients that have had credit cards just sitting in a drawer and it could be because they went and got their own home loan one day and the home loan provider said, hey, here's a $6,000 credit card. Oh, actually, I don't need the $6,000 credit card. <laughs> I just got an email saying it was going to say that me was more. me. <laughs> yeah, and and we can pick on the bank. It's like it was one of the big four banks until recently. It mandated you to have that. <laughs> Did you get one. done by that as well, Grant? Yeah, I got one. And, <laughs> and then and I got an email. I'm, then I got an email saying that it was going to charge me more <laughs> per year for I'm like, for what? <laughs> How funny! <laughs> and I, I'm in the same bucket with that lender too. <laughs> I love it how we all know the exact lender that this this is. <laughs> so, so I'm curious, right? Like, obviously, credit cards on top of the mortgages, like it is the greatest upsell they got. And fair play, they just made money off all three of us. Like, well done to the bank. Uh, what what are the types of debt? Like, that is a pretty easy, good one to know. Like, what other types of debt are there? Um, the other the other type of debt that's not not common, and I wanted to put this out there, is that as a business owner, when we're talking about the net profit and the the personal income, and as that's amalgamated together, we 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 may have educated ourselves. We might have um, pulled up pulled up our boots and our shoes, put our tie on, and went off to university to do a degree. And I'm I'm a person that's done two degrees, and and one I'm not using, one I am using right now. Uh, and you build up you could build up a hex debt or a help loan from the government to pay for your education. And if ev- everyone should be aware, there is a certain level of income that you have to earn to start repaying that. And it's not uncommon um, for a lot of people to go, okay, I'm going I'm to get self-employed and I'm going to pay myself next to nothing and I don't have to ever repay that debt. But as we start unpacking the question about <laughs> um, how do we maximize our borrowing capacity? We may have to cross that that threshold of income to repay that debt, which then is the question to the bank, do you have a hex debt, yes or no? And we say yes. Now they're probably going to tap both your personal income and your profit and then um, have an equivalent repayment to that level of income. Yeah, that happened to me. <laughs> Thirty-four, thirty-six thousand dollars, and I'm like, ah, I'm just going to kick this can down the road as far as I possibly can. Oh wait, it counts as debt against my borrowing capacity. I I know we've got more types of debt to cover here, but I just yeah. want to um, highlight a point here that I think is really interesting. Was on my own path of discovery. Um, these types of debt aren't treated equally in the eyes of the bank either. I've come to realize. So I, I kind of viewed it as like they just go, look, you've got this much debt. That's what you've got. But whether it's credit cards or personal loans or HEX or help or uh, car loans, like it's all weighted differently. And the one that really piqued my interest was the credit card. Is that even if the credit card is paid off, like you haven't used it at all, whatever the limit is, is completely untouched. They count the full amount and more depending on which card it is. And uh, I believe there's other factors you probably know better than I are. But can you please speak into that? Yeah. So credit card limits are approved for you to use at any time. So there's no, from a bank's point of view, they can't control how you want to spend that card. Mm. So it's already approved. So we can give you a loan one day um, and then you've got a credit card of 20 grand, say, and then you move into your nice, new, beautiful home if it's your own or occupied, or you find that in, and as you guys have described, other expenses related to investment properties, and you go, holy moly, I've just drained my business dry. I need to pay for the new hot water or the doors. And, and obviously, that wherever the doors have been damaged. The thing that I would say is that you could actually just get your credit card out and pay the bill. Mm. And that's what the bank is fearful of. And that's why when they weight different types of debts, credit card and an unused credit card with a limit, they'll take a certain percentage. Some banks are at 
about 38% of the limit, some are at 42% of the limit um, over an annual term. And that's how they consider your repayment. And even down to the point, some of the banks have even said, okay, if you owe something on your credit card, we'll take that percentage and then we'll take a principal component to make sure that you can actually repay that debt versus a hex when they'll go to the tables of the government and then other types of debt that we'll jump into, um, they'll, they'll take their repayment plus whatever buffers they deem necessary. Interesting. Business debt. So imagine I got debt on business. Does that impact at all? Or is it just whatever I've got in my personal debt? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that when we look at paying down debt, business debt, if we are utilizing full financial statements, full company tax returns, full individual tax returns, when we go down the line of looking at a business, we always go to this magical sheet called the balance sheet. And, yeah. and for, for listeners, the balance sheet is past the, the income and expenses and in this area and you go, what the hell is this non-recurring assets and liabilities and all this stuff? And in one of those statements, you might see that there's words like chattel mortgage, or you might even see a bank's name, ANZ credit card, overdraft. Those things are are what the banks are looking at. So in that case, when we look at um, car finance or equipment finance, which is a common one because businesses need equipment to make money in certain industries. They, we, we will put, uh, we'll put the net profit in. We'll put, um, the loan that is required for that asset into the calculator. And then we, as business owners, have some funky things that we can bring out and add back in to try to accommodate for that debt. So we have to disclose that business debt in there, but mm-hmm. then there's usually, if it's the good, well, there's the good debt and bad debt, and, and that's a debatable topic. If it's a piece of equipment that's going to make you more money, um, there's usually a thing called depreciation and interest. And not to try to get too technical, it's just those two components um, are allowable to help accommodate that debt in your business. There are other types of debts in your business that will drag you down. Um, and and in some industries, they they need the cash flow funding or other 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 lending like that that is a high interest rate, easily available and short term. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad I unpacked that can of worms. So, like the, the key summary there is uh, obviously it's not just yeah. personal debt. You also have to consider the debt that sits on the business because they're both factored in. To your point, depending on the bank and the type of loan, obviously. Um, I do want to uh, ask one question. So is there, just before I jump on to point number three, for this, is there a way to leverage some debt to pay off, like good debt to pay off bad debt? There, there is. Um, to increase your borrowing capacity, um, you could debt consolidate some bad debt into a longer term to achieve a goal. Um, it financially... If, is that the right goal for you? Is it right to put, say, a car loan over a home loan term of 30 years? Is it right to put a credit card over a, over a term of 30 years? That, that's a personal choice. Yep. Um, and if I was going to throw my personality in there, I probably wouldn't want to do that because the car is not going to be worth much in 30 years' time. Um, that, that is a mechanism that we can do. Or we can look to which debt is going to be the less impactful on the servicing calculator. Yeah. And we can also look at another aspect where maybe there is a, a type of lender that we can exclude the business altogether. Awesome. And I, I, I will ask one question before you do jump to the next point, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, uh, I, we want to make this episode as practical as we can. Yeah. It appears to me, in what you're suggesting here, Aaron, that someone would really want to look at what debts they have, what type they are, and potentially eliminate some of them before going for borrowing or Correct. accessing it. So, having that conversation with someone like yourself. But I want to give people just a little hint. Is there any ones you would just go, cool, if you've got some of these debts? start plowing away, start getting rid of them through business profits. It seems like credit cards is an easy first one, but how would you rank the other ones? Like what's the top three? Yeah. So let's. So credit cards are the, the easy target. Whenever I'm looking at a, a borrowing capacity um, and there's tight, I'm looking at the credit cards. What do they owe on that? And what is the limit? Can we reduce that limit? It's an easy way. Most likely it's it, the government's allowed us to reduce our limits very, very easily. Some even internet banking can allow that. Closing them off, on the other hand, can be a little bit of a nightmare. Um, personal, loan, personal named debts. 
for a business owner are probably where I'd go next. So personal loans, car loans and personal name, those two aspects will drag your borrowing capacity down probably bigger than the ones in your business. As I mentioned before, in your business, we have these things called addbacks and that can be delved in um, into to balance out some of the investment you need to be able to actually make the money into your business. Um, and the other ones inside your business, the first ones I'd try to get rid of is any cash flow funding. I would be hammering that out as quickly mm. as you can to get back on top of your cash flow in your business prior to going for any further lending. Interesting. See, it's like I love unpacking this because I didn't actually know that one at all. In my mind, it's like whichever one's charging you the highest interest rates, usually the best one to get rid of. Yes, yeah. by the sounds of it. <laughs> can, can I throw one more out there? Because there's a couple of lenders that are really targeting how much you owe at the tax office. So I'm not sure. There's probably a lot of business owners, and I, I may have even been one myself where we might have carried a little bit of um, tax office debt to to grow and then go back and address it. Um, so tax office debt with a couple of the major banks is not something they want you to have mm. while you go for a loan. So on your your um, company, if you do have a tax debt, it's going to be another item that you're going to not be able to kick down the track too long into the I'm future. A- I'm happy to go on the record right now. If you've got tax debt or you're running that type of strategy, you shouldn't be investing until you've sorted it out. It's yeah. like that's not, that's just bad business in my books. You, to your point, I accept some people do it to grow a business, but once you fix that business, you should pay that back before right. heading into this path. Well, it's also always looking over your shoulder. Right, like you're always going to be like looking over your shoulder. Am I going okay? Is the ATO going to knock on the door? And first thing they knock on the door, they're going to be like, "What? You just bought a house? <laughs> like, what are you? What are you doing with our money?" So, like, totally. I I completely concur with that as well, Charlie. And yeah, I, I'm interested to progress this because we've got so many of these points. I'm I'm going to dive into number three now. I won't steal your thunder, Aaron. Go for it. You, you go. No, no, no. I'll let you go and do it. So let's maintain your budget, both personally and business. So maintaining your budget. So obviously, we know it's good practice to have good cash flow, making sure we can meet all our commitments, pay our wages and our staff in our business. And as business owners, we usually are focused more on the business side to make sure that everyone is all paid. And then we'll pay ourselves money. um, And then we'll look at our personal bank accounts and maybe there's not much left or maybe there is lots left and we we need to now uh, make sure that we can address what we need to do with maintaining our personal budget as well. Um, and little little things, for example, we might look to, if, if we control our personal banking and our business banking, a lot of the lenders around borrowing power are going to ask you for their bank statements, mm-hmm. uh, for your bank statements, sorry, not the bank's bank statements, the, the person's bank statements. And in those bank statements, they're going to look to categorize your living expenses slightly differently. Um, So, where a middle to low income earner would go, say, put their kids to a primary school that's public or whether a middle to higher income earner is going to use the private school, the bank is going to consider that differently. Or there's other expenses that aren't able to be achieved for the middle to low income earner that are able to be done at a high level. So, maintaining your budget. Um, and identifying those discretionary expenses and the ones that are needed are going to help your borrowing capacity improve and for you to maintain creating those deposits that we need to continue to invest. Yeah, I'll jump in on this one. One of the things I found surprising on this topic is that I've been asked numerous times to kind of prove our living costs when we've had borrowing. (laughs) Um, and I'm very fortunate that obviously Bianca uh, is a bookkeeper accountant and does all about, we do a monthly budget anyway. How handy that has come in when it's come to applying for loans that we pre- practically have everything ready all the time yep. has been massively helpful and also just great from us being organized with our money. The other thing I found really surprising here is like if uh, the financial year is obviously a long year, it's a big year. The amount of times and even in recent times we've had requests that they want to see like the quarterly BAS update. Or uh, Aaron, you might know what this is actually called, but it's like the partial year of the accounting, the interim accounting. Interim, yeah. Yeah, so being up to date with that stuff where if you've uh, been lazy in a financial year, you can kind of get caught out here or maybe the income hasn't been good in this financial year and you're trying to leverage last year's. Like it, it really pays to follow and keep good budgets here when it comes to accessing finance. I can... 
I can echo that point there, Charlie, is that in in my business, I, I will personally take control of the whole business aspect of the budgeting and things, and I will communicate to my wife, and my wife will take care of the personal aspect. So there's not just one person looking at both aspects, being the mm. business owner and the personal side. I'll actually get my teammate on my side, communicate with her, and then when I need, to your point, when I need different things around the personal side, I'm, I'm going to go to my wife to get that information, just like you do, Charlie, to, to Bianca. Yeah. And, and me to Hazel. Hazel, if you're listening to this, I'm sure we talk about it. <laughs> but I'm, it's really interesting around managing these budgets because I'm one of these people that not every single month do I get paid the same amount, right? Like, does that have, when I'm maintaining a budget for the business to say, these are the things that I'm looking to try and achieve, and then when I'm obviously paying myself from my business, Right, I guarantee you that most business owners listening to that will not just go, cool, 10 grand every month or five grand every month or 20 grand every month. It's almost like, awesome, this is what I'm doing in my business. I'm moving this across. Does a fluctuation month on month matter or do they? is it just cool, whatever you spent in the last month? Is that kind of what they're looking for is just some kind of structure or do they look at that trend on, no, last month you spent $4,000 on your living expenses and the month prior you spent six? Like. Just, I'm just trying to understand the level of detail that needs to sit under this budget versus just I saved $5,000 or if that's all they care about, how much do you save every month? That That's great. The, the fluctuation of your income is probably not the thing they're going to be looking at because as business owners, we know we are looking at either an annual sense of the word for our income to put into borrowing power or we can break that down into quarters for other types of lending. What they're looking for in the bank statements is, one, is have you been honest about your liabilities um, and if they found that? And number two is about um, there are there are lenders that will look at line item by line item to see what if your living expenses have been disclosed correctly as well. So the emphasis is more on the spending versus the and the undisclosed debts versus the variability of the income that you're taking. And that is a, that is a known thing there related to any seasonality in business and things like that, that that's why we have a longer time period for um, self-employed to or business owners to borrow, but also to the fact of your once-off expenses. So Christmas, yeah. um, we go for a holiday and that's just a once-off expense. So that has to be accommodated um, into what we look at when we're looking at bank statements. But to that point too, if you're looking at maintaining a budget is a great thing to do just because it maintains your ability to keep saving and keep investing. And there are a few lenders out there that won't need your bank statements. So bank statements provided to the lenders are are probably the worst case scenario, but there are some lenders that you don't have to do that. Uh, I love it. It always comes back to what we say, Charlie. It's like, if you just save $5,000 every single month at least, to go and invest in assets, like you're doing, you're doing well. Like you're you're on that road because the incidentals is what I'm getting at. It's like the incidentals don't actually matter that much, right? If it was the ten thousand this month in your savings or five thousand, like the, the maintaining the budget and making sure that you always hit those sort of key targets along the way, super super critical. What is it? What gets measured gets managed, right? Yeah, you're diligent and understanding this. Of course, you're going to adhere to this. Like I don't know anyone that doesn't. Whatever gets reported and measured in their business generally appears to be the area where they succeed. I agree wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. How cool is that? When you look at something, it grows. <laughs> when you look at your numbers, it, it grows. It's it's a. You feel like it's miraculous, but it's interesting. You measure it, and it, it goes. The 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 other little point around budget too is that you you've got to be careful as a business owner sometimes when you are buying personal expenses like at the fuel. You're buying your fuel for your car for your business. And if you tack on something else, um, you you may have a, a budgetary thing to dr- address as you go forward in business too, um, and and that's some that's that can be another a budgetary trap. Not necessarily around borrowing power, but there's probably other other things to think about when you do it that way as well. Yeah, such deep rabbit holes on this one. So when we're looking at obviously increasing our borrowing capacity, what's what's number four? Number four is the A-grade asset. So how we unpack this is how does your asset you're buying going to impact your borrowing power? So I jumped onto good old Google to check out what the average rental yield in Sydney is. 
and we're looking at a rental yield of two and a half percent. Two and a half percent. We could be generous. Two and a half. half right, I'll, I'll say it is. All right, let's go two and a half. We, we trust you. <laughs> so if you're going to borrow for purchasing a million, two million, three million dollar property and you're getting two and a half percent rental return on that, or do you buy an asset that is half a million dollars that is going to give you upwards of 6% rental return. So here's the question, boys. What is going to impact your borrowing power? Which asset class? Do you know, this is one, again, on the journey of learning. I'd like to think I know this answer now, but I will say it did surprise me when uh, I was initially getting into this, just how much of a difference uh, what we're about to unpack can make here. My understanding, Aaron, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that any income you get from your assets, in this case, we'll use property as the example, counts towards your income when it comes to borrowing power as well. So if you're buying lower yield assets, and they might be great assets from a capital growth perspective, but that can actually impact your borrowing power negatively if it's negatively geared. But if you were to buy uh, assets with a higher yield, this may enable more borrowing in itself. You could actually gain borrowing power by going after high-yield assets. Am I close? Absolutely. Nail on the head. And, and it's, you're right. The personal choice about the asset is, is, the, is the business owner's choice about what they want to invest in, and that has its own consequences. But on a mathematical equation, which one's going to increase your borrowing power? And it's going to be the one that gives you the higher rental yield that you mm-hmm. actually get money after at the end of the month after all expenses are paid. And that is also going to give you the extra capital that you may want to do other things down the track if you've got two or three of those types of assets providing you that finance. And also every property you buy with a rental income, if we want to target property, is going to exponentially increase your borrowing capacity yeah um to the point that you can get to, i've i've been able to work with clients that now have rental incomes that far in excess of their personal income that they need to be able to maintain and there's still ability to continue to borrow so awesome do you, do you know i, do, I will uh, jump in a bit further here because this was so surprising to me so so surprising it's like if you become very let's say granular focus and you just focus on buying the next property and you go, cool, I, I really want this. And we'll use Sydney as the example. Buy something in Bondi, which I imagine has a terrible yield. It's very expensive real estate. I don't imagine the rents support a high yield property there at all. So you buy that, you love it, you really, really want it. But there's just no uh, awareness that you just shot yourself in the foot for any mm. future borrowing. You're not thinking, um, how do I grow a great portfolio? You're thinking, how do I get the next property? Where if you're uh, more strategic in thinking, how does, this, how does my next purchase affect the one after and the one after that, it completely flips your mind on how you, what assets you may want to actually get in your portfolio, the value of different yields, because you may want some growth as well, but to do it at certain points can make a massive difference. And ultimately, everything made sense to me when I realized why most people get stuck at one or two investment properties, because they've probably chosen the wrong asset. They've probably looked at this and played the game in the wrong way. Is that common in your finding, Aaron? Do you come across a lot of those people? Yeah, there's there's actually two types of clients that come in. One ones that want to go further and want to articulate their goals, and then there's some people on the other extreme that come to me to just get a deal rescued. They bought a mm. uh, something. Uh, we'll pick on it. We'll pick on the 38th floor of a unit apartment in a major metro area in Sydney. We probably won't pick on the town, and and now it's undervalued. And now the, the rental vacancy is too high. Um, they can't get the right lending because it's too small in size. And it's just not, it, it feels like it hasn't been thought through. But obviously the asset class for someone else that knows what they're doing is, is good. But when you're rescuing deals like that, then you're going, okay, we've got that rescued. What are we going to do to try to pay for this? Um, what are you trying to do next? What what capacity do we have left to try to get that income back in? Like it's not the end of the world with a low rental yield. You can always buy another higher rental yield if it's in your goals to help pay for it. But that's that's a strategy that you need to think about to be able to maximize your borrowing capacity. But just to clarify on that point, if you, if you're a doctor, let's say you're a specialist surgeon and you have like literally a million dollar income. 
right? And it's like you're going to have immense borrowing power with that where things like negative gearing and low yields may offer a huge advantage to you. Tax, tax benefit, yeah. Yeah, the tax benefit, right? So right strategy for the right person. But as a uh, business owner where you're someone who's like, all right, cash flow is really important to me because I've got liabilities that are very different to other people who are employed, this is where like personally I don't like owning assets that cost me money because I see the impact of that. I want to stack positively geared or at least neutral geared things within what I'm doing. Yeah, and that comes back to that, that question that we could go back to the income thing is if your personal income is so high, there's a different strategy to someone that is got want, wants the business and has a, a more balanced perspective on, on that. The, the other thing in regards to the A-grade asset that I wanted to unpack is there's a few people um, that I've been talking to that wants to pull a deposit out of their business to buy an investment property um, because it's, quite, it's a popular strategy. Um, and obviously, as a mortgage broker, it's a lot of lending that I do on that. The the impact of taking that money out of the business, could you affect your borrowing power if that money could be used to buy a machine or a business asset that you could assess the return on investment that not only will bring you more income, but also double the deposit that you have to be able to pull out in the future to buy two assets where you're thinking now I want to buy one. How about I invest into my business? Maybe it's a staff member. Maybe it's a, a coaching program. Maybe it's a machine. Maybe it's something else to get that, get that business rocking a bit more versus trying to take the profit out right now to buy one asset where you can probably put it back into a machine and then you can double your deposit and maybe buy two in the future. So um, buying an A-grade asset may not necessarily be the yields on property. It might be something to increase your deposit or your ability to build wealth out of your business into your own name. I've yeah. seen that. Have seen someone underest- invest in their business and like choke the thing. It's like just dying for oxygen or more yeah. cash to grow. And but it's also interesting around that opportunity cost, right? Like sometimes unless you looked back and went, oh, wow, that was actually a really bad decision. Uh, and the point you just go, cool, these are the decisions I'm going to continue making forwards because that call it $100,000 sitting in the bank account of, of the business has the ability to fund so many different things, right? Whether it's a, an apartment in Sydney, whether it's a house, I don't know, in, in a regional area with high rental yields, whether it's an asset, et cetera, like that opportunity cost and assessing what is going to be the best asset for me to invest in. I think like that stopping and thinking is probably one of the most valuable things that any business owner could do because to your point, Charlie, I've got friends that they go and extract a whole heap of cash out of the business and then two weeks later, two months later, they're going right back into the business going, oh my gosh, there's so many inverse impacts that I just did not realize taking that cash out was going to have. And then they rinse and repeat and continue to do the same thing over and over again. Just Uh, imagine you've got a competitor, right? Let's just use an an SEO company as the example, right? I don't don't know this person, right? But there's two people (laughs) running SEO companies that are about the same level. One of them is continually trying to pull the profits out to buy a property and he just stays here. The other one is like, no, no, I'm reinvesting hard and I'm going to have better technology, better team. It's like over 10 years, one eats the other, right? So it's like you have to be very, very careful of just thinking about the business environment. I don't want to be underinvested in my business. Like it's very important to keep that asset because it's the key to getting this other side of things in wealth creation working well. It's funny, anyway. as, as you said that, I knew the exact two of the exact people in my head who could apply to that situation. Really? Did I, did I, uh, did I <laughs> strike close to home? I may not have known that. It was, it was a good swing of that bat. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, like before we uh, sort of hit towards the end of this episode, number five, right? Number five, what is the fifth best way for us to increase our borrowing capacity? The, the fifth one gets a bit funky. I'm, I called it bank diversification. And and it's really the definition of that is utilizing the right bank's policy for the right time that you are in at your business journey and income. So the examples of this, just to list a few, a lot of banks will look at two years financials and average them together. Some will look at one year's financials in isolation. Some will look at BAS or business activity statements that you submit quarterly versus looking at the financial statements. There's another one that 
we to the point of the business investment, there's ones that will look at your regular, if you're lucky enough to do it, regular director's wages <clears throat> and exclude the business altogether. So those are those are the some of the policies there, and also the buffers that people that the banks put on. So one bank for your investment property may allow you to use eighty percent of the rental income, and another will use seventy five percent. Another won't care about what that investment property costs to you, and another will want to scrutinise your individual tax return about what costs are associated with your investment properties apart from interest that's paid on the loan. Can I, I've got a. I want to jump in on this. This was my biggest insight in more recent times. So, uh, Aaron, what you're suggesting is like the different banks have different rules, and depending on what your position position is, you may be more advantageous with one lender or another. Um, but how often do the banks change the rules? <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that laugh was just. Like <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, does because I would have thought these are pretty set in stone, right? You know, you've got uh, one of the big four. It's like they work out their criteria of lending, and you just go, cool, that, that's them. That's what they do. This, these are their rules. Yeah. But how often do they change, Aaron? How maybe like, please elaborate on that. Cool. There's there's this little little clause that sits in every lending contract, and this little clause that sits in every conditional approval. It says the bank can change their mind at any time, depending on your circumstances and disclosures or not disclosing. So if you, we, we commonly, we find when we go for a pre-approval and we're talking business owners. So let's say we've done the pre-approval on two business activity statements and the pre-approval lasts for six months. So we've got the pre-approval on the 1st of January. We now get to the 20th of June. It's still valid in the eyes of the client. But the bank then goes, no, 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 we, we gave you conditional approval on September and December's BAS. Now we need March. And if March was poor, that now goes potentially goes against you. But the reverse is true. If March was high, then it comes there. And, and that's a common thing is that when you are conditionally approved with a bank, they can change the rules at any time. Just as when you sign the loan contracts, it says the bank can give you written warning about a change, an interest rate change, and those other aspects as well. So how often do they change? The serviceability calculators, which is the word that we use to get your borrowing capacity, those all change even monthly. We've seen them even change even more frequently like that. They're benchmarks on minimum living costs. So we've talked about by maintaining your budget, but if you maintain your budget below what the bank thinks, the bank's going to take the higher amount. And if that higher amount changes because you've now declared more income, as a lot of banks do, your bands of how much you spend and the bank size changes. Um, is it the buffers around? Uh, did they? So one of the major banks changed from using only seventy percent rental income to using eighty percent rental income and the expenses. And those those changes, even though they that people don't see it, people don't know it. It's a bit like the analogy before. We, we go, yep, yeah, mate, we're, we're earning the income. We can go to the bank. But when you unpack the bank and you go, you've just changed this on me. I've just got my pre-approval six months ago. Now you've changed the buffers on my rental income. Now you've capped out my, my rental income yield and I can't use more even though I've got more. Or the other one is that we buy the type of security and, and then that whole can of worms around um, what levels of lending on types of security can come into the picture too. So is, rules is, change. Is it fascinating? Uh, <laughs> but I, I am, I'm curious, right? Like as a business owner, how do I play this? Is this a, yeah, mate, I'll just keep earning and then I'm going to call Aaron and he's going to figure out all, he's going to look through all of my financials and just be like, all right, cool. Well, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. These are That's, the ones. You're that- basically describing my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I will create carnage. Aaron, you fix it. <laughs> well, you got a specialty. That's yes. You? That is yeah. yes. <laughs> well, but this is the value of a good broker, right? This is what we're yeah, talking about here. Your ability to understand the rules of engagement and what you have available is there. It's a C- correct. Thing. I've got to stay up to date with them. It's a it's a key point. Like, where are my clients that are wanting to go higher? 
Uh, Where is their property portfolio at? Has any rents changed? Uh, When was the last time I communicated to them just to make sure that I've got the current circumstances up front? Which lenders am I thinking of next? What alerts are coming in my my email every so often about a new serviceability calculator, a new policy change? Um, What's happening post um, uh, in the current era related to changes of using director's wages versus looking at business? These aspects I've got to be on top of all the time. And I suppose if I ask you guys what you're doing every day versus what I'm doing every day, you, you want to be able to leverage the knowledge that people have for the goal you're trying to achieve. So if you're trying to achieve borrowing, um, I'm happy to put my hand up. You need a broker. If you're trying to achieve um, other media aspects, I'm going to have to give Charlie and Grant a call. Isn't that that interesting? It's just like one of these things, everything that you're running through, I'm like, damn, there's so many levels to this. And I'm just like, so how do we win our? Uh, you're just going to talk to the person that that knows exactly like how, all about these inf- pieces of information. But I do have one very pointed question yeah. for you. All right, so we've we've spoken about five from earning more, uh, reducing debt, and doing all of these things. A class assets, all right? So imagine someone's sitting here now and they're just like, "I need to increase my borrowing capacity." Which lever do people typically pull first out of all of those five? Oh, that's that's the good question, isn't it? They pay down the debt. That's that's the first thing that they'll. If if we done borrowing capacity, that's the first thing that'll make it better is to pay down the debt. Is that because it's so much easier, or is that because it slows them down enough to earn some more to pay something down, or is it is it just what you see is like there's always a low hanging fruit to like credit cards might have twenty twenty thousand dollar credit card. Okay, cool. You can drop that down to five thousand, and we've immediately. Got some like, is that just because there's lower hanging fruit that we can easily just grab at? Yeah. So the the, the big thing is um, when when someone's sitting in front of me, they've got a goal or they've got into a contract that needs to be actioned immediately. Mm. <laughs> and the the most instant way to change your borrowing capacity is to change that credit card limit or look at the cash you may have additional to the goal of buying your own place, next property, things like that to be able to pay out that debt because it's an instant change um, and, and banks know that it's an instant change and they accommodate that. And that, that's what we need to do to, to increase your borrowing capacity there. But then we've got all the other aspects that we've talked about today to, to work on to make sure that you can have long-term borrowing capacity. Is, is your dream that people actually think about this before they start committing to buying something? Is that, is that like the dream? It's like, don't call me when you've already made a decision. Like, call me before you've made this decision. What, what is it? We, we want that um, unicorn to come in that's got massive amount of profit, massive amount of um, individual income. Their bank statements are clean. There's the, they've got the highest credit rating in the world. They just come in and I can just sleep on clouds and get the work done or sit at the beach and drink some martinis. But you know what? Life happens. We, we do things. We, we want to live. We, we want to um, have families. We want to invest. We, we want to actually enjoy things too. So I think we have to accommodate that life. Life is there to be enjoyed where we can as well. Yeah. I know one of the first things that I do when I'm looking at buying like a new property in Charlie, I know you're the exact same because we kind of do something similar is literally first pot of call. Let's call Aaron and see what we can borrow before we commit to anything because to that point, we need to understand, okay, well, what lever, like what borrow, what borrowing capacity do we have? And then like what one of these five levers can I push and pull in order to increase that to the point that I want it to be at rather than going, hey, let's go and buy this million dollar property and then getting caught out going, Aaron, please, 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 please fix it. I must say, I wish I did what you described, but unfortunately what <laughs> I tend to do is send Aaron realestate.com listings and say, can I buy this? <laughs> Do we choose from be like, ah, oh, again? Who's the- Stop it. Who's just sitting there with like direct fees into your bank account going, nah, like, yep. It always yep. lets me down gently when I uh, have uh, terrible ideas, but it's still nonetheless funny for me. What a- it's, it's good. Yeah, one of the questions I do have that's always been in the back of my mind, right? So in businesses, like we have some really, really good years and we go, great, I'm going to go buy investment properties in this example and load up on a million, two million dollars worth of debt irrelevant on the the point i'm trying to make here 
for that, imagine that my business drops its income, right? Where I would not be able to go and get that debt today, right? Does that matter at all? Or does the banks just look at it going, cool, at the point in time when you went and got that debt, you're able to service it with your income and all those kind of things. We all have down years and no worries at all. People have mortgages all the time. They lose jobs and they probably couldn't service it outside of savings. It's not the end of the world. Like, is that something that we even have to think about outside of obviously increasing borrowing capacity? Like, should I lay awake with one eye open or is it completely fine? That's that's just a it's a really interesting question that's not asked that often. Um, it's it's got probably two folds. It's like, did my property drop below the value that I actually owe on it? Did my earning capacity drop below what I actually owe the bank? <clears throat> and I, I suppose this is the this is the um, the, 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 the personal story here is that when you click the switch to go from I was in a PAYG role and when I went to full-time self-employed, my income went below the ability to borrow what I actually had borrowed. Yep. So the only problem it makes is if you do not pay the loan. Got it. And the other problem it makes is that if you're gung-ho and wanting to invest, and I was so gung-ho wanting to build business, build business, build business. And, and in the early days, I, I remember meeting Charlie on the, on the uh, bowling, barefoot bowl green, and I was out there. I was wanting to get stuff done. Um, I, that frustrated me, and I had to change that. But my goal was bigger. But at that yeah. time, I needed to go through the journey to get to where I'm in now. Got it. So it- Fluctuations did not impact uh, the, yeah. the borrowing. If you budget. if you go to borrow money, it's probably going to be a no. Agreed. If you go to sell the asset that doesn't has too much loan on it to the value, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think that um, that is a really good question. By the way, Grant, I like that a lot. I hadn't actually contemplated it in a big way because it's like inevitably in business, there's probably is going to be down years or environmental ch- uh, changes. <clears throat> like I look back to like the GFC or what happened for many businesses in the uh, recent times we've had to deal with, and you look at that and go like many companies would have had down years or had to change business models or pivot, and then coming back to I don't want to say starting again, but it's like you'd work on these five elements. You get back to one year's good financials and then two and eliminate debt and then you can reopen your borrowing position. Yep. Um, it's more making sure that what debt you've got now is not susceptible to any of those sort of peaks and troughs outside of yeah, having good buffering in place and reserves so you, of course, won't default and have time is probably a huge component of ensuring that as well, right? Yeah. There's a key learning there too is don't, don't kick yourself. Just get get up and get going again. Because if if you kick yourself while you're down, you could probably stay down. So if you're feeling like your borrowing power is low and you're trying to get it up, it, it could be worth a, a conversation with a broker to be able to say, okay, well, you need it to be here. Have some goals in mind and, and get going again. So I think the, the the word I've got is if your borrowing power is lower than what you want it to be, don't kick yourself. Just get yeah. on and, and grind it and get up to being a super profitable business. My final question before we wrap up, this, this was the question I've been waiting uh, 50 minutes <laughs> to, to ask, right? So, like, as we acquire more investment properties, of course, we're going to hit that glass ceiling at some point. And then we're going to go back to these five levers and try and push-pull and go, oh, my gosh, how am I going to try and get more out? Is there, like, is this an infinite game where you always see people push, 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 push to be able to go and get it? Or is there a point where you go, you know what, you are going to hit this ceiling at some point? Right, like we can push and pull these levers and go for different alternative lending options and all these trying of things, but sometimes you just have to go, you know what, you just need to wait this one out. Like you can't just keep getting blood out of a stone. Is that is that something that happens or is it no, you know what, there is always a way. When there's a will, there's a way. There's always a different document to look at, there's always a different bank to go to, there's always a different thing, like earn more, pay down debt. Or is it this ceiling that people do hit and it's just like time is now what you just need to wait for? Yeah, it's uh- this is this is a really cool question, Grant. Um, the the thing is, I suppose it comes down to the banking industry. If we keep competition in the banks and have different policies, we're going to have um, a bit more of a, a borrowing game to play as we acquire assets. Uh, number two is if we keep buying assets that have income off it and maybe income mathematically in excess of what we pay for it, we're always going to have the addition of income to be able to continue to buy. So competition, adding income all the time. And then if you add more of a reframe there, if you want to do it instantly, we're going to have a glass ceiling. 
if you want to do it over time, you, I'm going to have to say that there is an infinite style of play here because over time, and, and I, I would say that we're going to have increases to rental income. We're going to have increases to property values. We may have increases to income out of the business. We may have um, what we just talked about, super profitable years to leverage up further. Um, and as we still have those aspects in play, we, we could look at the time aspect to go, we could purchase one or if not two A-grade assets. We could wait time. We could then go back now to buy three and four, and then we can wait for time. And then mathematically, if we l- always look at the maths and we've always got competition with the lenders, there usually is a will and a way. If you want to continually upgrade, let's pick on the owner-occupied house. If we continually want to upgrade that, there's no income off that. It's just a place to live. So there will be a glass ceiling for you. Uh, I'm always curious about this. And people go on the journey and they're like, what happens at the end? What, what, what do I know where it, where it sits? So super appreciate that. And it's been one of those overly insightful episodes where I'm like walking away going, I thought I knew a lot of these kind of things, but everything from sort of earning more and making more uh, income, paying down your debt, and we walk through sort of some of the key piece of debt you should pay down first maintaining your budget uh, the a grade assets or like choosing the right type of asset and then like bank diversification as some of the, the, the great five levers or practical levers I'll, I'll say to increase your borrowing capacity so be sure to look out for the next episode i absolutely love this one too by the way uh, and if you want to get access to absolutely anything that asset blocks puts out go to assetblocks.com.au and jump into uh, there and download any of our resources but before you do what i do want to understand is aaron how can people get a hold of you this is a really cool thing so you just mentioned jump over to assetblocks.com.au jump into the partners section and you'll see me there um, or you can get me directly you can go to my website on um, dandf.com.au or call my office on 0291884488 dandf.com.au uh, Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure be sure to subscribe to the show uh, and if you've got someone who knows that or going through these challenges around trying to increase their borrowing capacity, uh, feel free to send them a link over to this episode so thank you again for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition <laughs>